1: Welcome back to uh, Arbitral Insights here at Reed Smith. I'm uh, Andrew Tetley, a partner in the Reed Smith Paris office, and uh, have the pleasure today of speaking with Chris Newmark. Chris is uh, a well known personality in the arbitration and mediation world, who I've known for a considerable number of years. And we're going to speak about arbitration and ADR and settling disputes. But first of all, say welcome to Chris. Thank you for being with us today, and perhaps we could start by you just giving a sort of small introduction as to your, your background, what you do, etc., 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 in this space.
0: Thanks, thanks very much, Andrew, and thank you for inviting me to the podcast. I practice as an arbitrator now in London and as a mediator, which I've done for a number of years, but I, st- I started out as a uh, litigation practitioner with Baker McKenzie here, here in London and uh, early experiences there got me into mediation first, and then um, as I started to practice in the international arbitration sphere, that was when I got interested in in mediation and settlement in the context of arbitration proceedings.
1: I mean, certainly from my, um, you know, I've known you for some years now, and I certainly sort of seen your name and uh, in in the mediation space as strongly as in the arbitration space. And um, uh, I suppose you're in the sort of really good position to sort of speak to sort of the question as to why should arbitrators or arbitral institutions, you know, concern themselves with this business of mediation, settlement. I mean, they were, you know, in the business of arbitration. I mean, why should they get involved with other ways of settling disputes? Uh, I think it's a very
0: fair question. When I, when I first got interested in mediation, it was around the time of the what we'll call the, the wolf reforms in, in England, um, reforms of the civil justice system. And then the the courts in England were uh, encouraged to promote mediation, promote settlement, partly as a matter of of public interest because courts were publicly funded and it was in the interests of the the court system to minimise the number of cases going through. So the courts had an incentive to uh, encourage parties to mediate. And of course, that doesn't apply in arbitration, a private process which parties choose and which they pay for. So I I think the justification in arbitration for institutions and for arbitrators to get involved in, in settlement is only there if that's what parties want. I mean, not obvi- obviously individual parties in individual cases, but generally if the user community, if the business community find arbitration to better serve their needs, where there is some effort made, some steps taken by the, by the arbitrators to facilitate settlement, and that is what arbitrational institutions should should deliver.
1: So it's about choice for you. It's a sort of party choice. And uh, and so the, you're sort of saying that the institutions sh- should cater to that choice.
0: Yeah. And I think it's changed over time. I mean, it, this isn't something that has always been the case. And I, I've worked uh, in this area for, for quite a number of years, as, as, you, as you've noted, and I've seen the progression of, of, of attitude over time. I worked uh, back in 2012 on the ICC rules or before 2012 on the ICC rules that came into force then, and we we discussed then how those arbitration rules should reflect settlement and mediation, what references should be made. And there was a much more active debate then as to whether there was any role for arbitrators in the the settlement space at all. Now, uh, I think it's more a question of just what role arbitrators should take on settlement, how far they should go but it's much more generally accepted that it is helpful for arbitral tribunals to to take certain steps at least to facilitate settlement, and that's because that's what in-house counsel, uh, what corporates as a general rule are interested in. Mm. If you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, parties want generally, they you know, whenever the dispute arises, they want to settle their case. They don't go to arbitration as a first resort. They go to it as a last resort, but that doesn't mean they give up any any wish for settlement. They would still, in many cases, uh, in most cases, prefer to resolve things through a negotiated agreement. And so the arbitral process should not get in the way of that and, and should, I think, at least enable parties to have the best chance of, of doing that if that is what they choose to do.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I, it's where how you facilitate that, I suppose, is the challenge. And I, I, I certainly, you know, when I joined the ICC Commission in the same, what, 2012 um, it was the Commission on Arbitration. Now it, it's the it's the Commission on Arbitration and ADR. So you know this is penetrating. I suppose uh, this idea that the the two can't be sort of they're not they're not separate bedfellows. They can be they can be bedfellows if you like is growing. But um, th- th- there's still a tendency, I suppose, there's a sort of cultural resistance to this, depending and particularly in certain certain legal cultures, to mix up the two, your arbitration and your mediation. And, you know, I suppose one of the questions one might ask is, you know, why should the institutions be getting busy in this? I mean, there's other tools that are out there, um, other ways, you know, to do mediation, to do settlement another way. Um, We have the Singapore Mediation Convention, for example. I mean, you know, isn't there enough going on elsewhere that the institutions should just keep to their Business in arbitration and, and let the let the others deal with well, mediation and settlement.
0: There's a, a <laughs> yeah, there's a few few, few points you raised there. I, I mean, you say going on elsewhere, but of course, it's the same institutions in many cases that are offering those ADR tools: uh, mediation, expert determination, mutual evaluation, dispute boards, etc. Are offered by the same institution not all institutions do that but 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 most of the larger institutions now have their their own mediation rules that and I think uh, a number would subscribe to the ambition that they would they can be a one-stop shop to um, users that users who come to them for resolution of a dispute should be able to use whatever tools that institution has to offer to get the best and most efficient resolution of their dispute and if that means I mean, there are different ways of doing that. One could simply silo the different tools and, and allow parties to choose between them. If you go to arbitration, well, that's all you get. But another and perhaps more sophisticated and more effective way is to look at how these tools can, when appropriate, be, be used together. And when in the course of an arbitration, it might be appropriate to facilitate parties access to mediation, for example, um, mediation windows you'll be familiar with. That's one tool that, 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 that can be used. So I think it's in, it's in the interest of institutions serving their their customer base to to look more creatively at the different tools that they offer and see how they can be um, they offered as a one stop shop. On the Singapore Mediation Convention, I'm afraid I'm a long term cynic on, on that particular piece of legislation. I the the, the origins of that uh, I believe were not in a genuine need for better steps to enforce mediated. Uh, settlement agreements. I mean, in the many, in the hundreds of cases I've mediated, I can't re- recall a single case where the enforceability of what the parties have agreed was an issue in the mediation or a genuine concern, because settlement agreements can be structured to cater for for, for enforcement, usually either through you know guarantees or provisions that state that uh, claims are not released until payment or, or completion of settlement terms, etc it's not usually a problem, enforcement of a settlement agreement. The motivation behind the Singapore Convention, perhaps perhaps an understandable one, was to put, it, put mediation on some similar footing to arbitration to give it the standing that arbitration has with the New York Convention. But um, I'm not sure that really justifies something of the, the size scope uh, of the Singapore Mediation Convention and as things currently stand there are only a few countries that have that have ratified that so it's a, we're a long way off that really changing the landscape and I'm, I'm i have reservations as to as to whether it ever will
1: yeah it's interesting because um, i mean we talk about the new york convention in arbitration and that's often put forward as a you know a great plus for arbitration but you know in my experience many many arbitral awards are simply paid um uh, because the parties have come to have their dispute resolved, and there's the answer, and they get paid obviously with the the big battles that 's not and not necessarily the case but you know but the but there is large amounts of arbitration where the arbitral award is simply paid yeah. and uh but the the mediation convention perhaps the most to, to, to sort of counter counter your, your cynicism, what it perhaps does is this, which is it puts it in the, uh, out there that as a it's a convention on mediation it's it, it is a publicity for the notion you know, even of mediation. it puts it in the public eye if I
0: well, I think that was the intention, yeah, that was yeah. the intention, and it has achieved that to a certain extent, but does that improve access to mediation i don 't think it does does it will it encourage parties who know about mediation to actually enter into the process to engage in it because they feel reassured by uh, the enforcement possibilities enhanced by that convention, I, I'm not sure that really will will, will materialise.
1: Mm, well, that makes sense. That Certainly makes sense. Yeah. Moving more broadly on, on the subject, because I mean, I know you. You know, you are very. You, you mentioned you've done hundreds of mediations. How often is you know your your experience of mediations? How how often do they? resolve at the mediation how many sort of get resolved afterwards how effective is it in your experience and does it matter that do certain sectors lend themselves to mediation better than others your insight on that would be i'm sure interesting
0: i mean the the, the sort of uh, standing line on this is that mediation is particularly well suited for for longer term relationships where parties are continuing to live together and therefore are more inclined to resolve matters so that they can continue that relationship rather than, you know, have a have a bust up in court or in arbitration. I think that applies, and that'll apply across any number of industry sectors. But it's still a very good tool for resolving any any dispute. And my my rule of thumb is if if a case is capable of being settled, and that goes to fraud cases, um, cases involving dishonesty, which people sometimes used to say couldn't be mediated. I think they can. If it can be settled, then there's a good chance that mediation will be a a very efficient tool in getting parties to settlement, and may well help where where direct negotiations um, don't succeed. In terms of whether cases settle on the day or later, yeah, it's absolutely true that well, certainly many cases do settle on the day of a mediation, And and we talk about on the day of a mediation, assuming that. A mediation is structured to have a sort of one day session, which is the the focal point. Mediations may be structured so that they take place uh, over a period of time with a number of sessions addressing different issues and uh, and moving the negotiation forward in stages. But if you have have the classic form of of a mediation, which which, which takes place over one or two days with key decision makers present and aiming for, for people to sign on a dotted line at the end of that session... That may or may not happen, but you, you, it's absolutely true that in the weeks that follow sometimes the months that follow parties will will still settle and will refer back to the discussions they had in the mediation as being as being critical in getting them to that uh, ultimate settlement and I, I have had cases where I've been contacted sort of out of the blue long since've I've moved on from a mediation to uh, to say, oh Chris, I thought you'd like to know that case you know we mediated with you. X weeks, months ago is now settled and um, thanks very much for your efforts back then because it was helpful.
2: Well,
1: I know certainly in the experiences that i had had of mediation, which are much fewer than you. It's, uh, it's often said that before you go in, that you might not get the settlement at the actual at the actual uh, settlement mediation process, but that it can generate. And that, my experience has been that I have to say is that it's normal. It has actually contributed to bring the parties together, even if not directly on the day of the mediation. But I've seen both. But coming back to arbitration, because uh, yeah. we're arbitral insights here, so I, I must. Stay <laughs> on topic how do you think well what what sort of might improve i mean the the ultimate aim of mediation is to settle a case so short of the award uh, in an arbitral context i mean what changes for you what improvements might be suggested to to get more settlements within an arbitration process short of an award do you have any thoughts on, on that
0: I I, I do, and it's something I've I've thought about a lot because statistics suggest that um, cases that go to national state courts are far more likely to settle before a court judgment than cases that go to arbitration are before an award. And there's a mismatch there. How can it be improved? Well, of of course, in order to get to mediation, in order to get into any negotiation dialogue, there needs to be a will on both sides, and agreement on both sides. And in the context of international arbitration where parties come from different jurisdictions, their lawyers often come from different jurisdictions, have different experiences of mediation. Maybe on one side, there's a great experience and on the other side, there's very little experience. It's much harder to make that connection and get that agreement to get into a settlement process like mediation than it is uh, in the domestic sphere. In, in it take if you take London where I'm based as an example. Law firms based in London the, who are representing parties before the English court, they all speak the same mediation language. They understand the process. They know the same mediators. They often know each other. It's very easy for them to pick up the phone and say, let's let's get our clients into a mediation here. That's much, much harder where law firms are coming at this from different jurisdictions with, say, with different perspectives. So I think where arbitral institutions and arbitral tribunals can help is trying to... Uh, as it were, level the playing field of knowledge a little bit on uh, as between parties so that there is more prospect of parties getting comfortable with the mediation process so that they're willing to engage in it. And that may mean uh, spending a bit of time, not the arbitrators, but somebody spending a bit of time with one party to help uh, advise it on, on what tools are available, how mediation works, et cetera, to get it comfortable with that. Yeah, so that, that 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 gateway, which is an agreement, is more easily um, passed through.
1: Because you you say there, you know, it needs to be someone else apart from the arbitrator, really, who should be uh, getting them comfortable with uh, the process, uh, which I, I certainly, as a, a number of arbitrators, would be grateful for that or happy to do, to do that. Because it, it, is, it is tricky being an arbitrator and coming into a mediation process and coming out. In some jurisdictions, it's commonplace. But in many of course it's not, uh, and certainly from my personally i I struggle uh, with that and I've seen it go wrong on more than one occasion uh, when the arbitrator comes into the mediation and then back out again because there's a tendency to enter the ring afterwards for the arbitrator that, that wouldn't be there otherwise I think I think I would, I would
0: say there are sort of three levels of arbitrator intervention and, and, and it gets more complicated as you go up the levels the fir- the first is simply structuring the arbitration in a way that facilitates the parties to get to negotiation, to get to mediation, like raising the prospect of a mediation window um, at, a, at an early case management conference or bifurcating the proceedings um, in such a way that important issues are, are decided early to give parties a platform for negotiation. That's the first level. And I don't think that is very complicated or, and certainly not risky. The next level is is arbitrators actually taking some proactive involvement such as giving preliminary views on issues, non-binding preliminary views, and further on from that, potentially chairing settlement conferences between the parties. Now there, the arbitrators are directly engaging in the negotiation process, albeit still respecting due process in the sense that they're not having any private discussions uh, with either party. So that's the second level, more complicated, requires more care to be taken and, and more training or, or familiarity with arbitrators of those processes if they're going to do it safely. The third level, which I think maybe is the one you're referring to, which is the one which is much more controversial and still only used in certain jurisdictions, in my experiences, is, is where arbitrators will switch hats and, and actually become a mediator and, and, and go into mediation with parties and meet privately and hear, receive confidential information from the parties as a mediator would but then be ready to put the arbitrator back, back on again if the parties don't reach a settlement. That, that that I think outside of those jurisdictions where it's commonplace understood and accepted outside of those jurisdictions in an international forum I think that is fraught with difficulty as, as I think you were also suggesting.
1: Yes yeah the best example of that I think is China of course where it's uh, sort of med-arb uh, uh, processes are well developed but um, yeah but in a international environment where there's lots of different international interests, I think it is, and then you have the, you know difficulty with enforcement at the end if if, <laughs> if it's not if it's not managed properly. So the risks are too high for me. So you, in your mind, though, it's like a, I think what's what, I under, what I'm sort of taking from your what you're saying is that we need to level the playing field in terms of knowledge. Of these processes across the jurisdictions across the the people and uh, companies and stakeholders so that uh, there's more openness receptiveness to this process and i can well see that and how can the arbitral institutions help there
0: well what one thing is to you know encourage their arbitrators to raise topics such as mediation windows at you know an early case management conference so the arbitrators are raising the topic of mediation and that, that flags it to all parties who will you know, perhaps be more open then to thinking about it. In terms of information, the arbitral institutions can themselves, the secretariat or whatever uh, body within the institution is responsible for managing the case, can provide information themselves. But I think there's also potentially a role for an additional neutral in this process to actually use mediation skills to facilitate the dialogue between parties about what ADR tools they might actually use. And one of the reasons for me suggesting this is that even even parties that are sophisticated in ADR, in-house counsel have suggested that they are still reluctant at times to suggest mediation or negotiation to another party for fear of appearing weak. There is still this reluctance in the international context of, uh, of halfway through an arbitration, you know, getting counsel to pick up the phone and suggest mediation to the other side. And if there was an independent neutral who was available, who could effectively facilitate an agreement between the parties to get to mediation without either them feeling that they've had to suggest it or or look weak to the other, then I think that could be a real a real benefit because it would enable mediation to happen in cases where both parties want it, but neither wants to suggest it.
1: Well, that's an interesting suggestion. I was going to ask, well, what's your crystal ball uh, on all of this for the next five, 10 years? And, uh, and that sound, sounds like that might be it. Or maybe there's more.
0: I think a sort of possible utopia, in my mind, would be a situation where parties can uh, trigger a dispute resolution process, whatever you call it. You'd probably still call it arbitration. But that opens the door to the full range of arbitration and ADR tools. It doesn't simply send you down a a track with with no routes off towards an arbitral award. And I think if that were to be available and parties were to have confidence in that, it would certainly resolve any enforcement concerns, if there were any, because settlements achieved after that process had been commenced could be embodied in a consent award. And you could do that under the New York Convention without needing to have recourse to the Singapore Convention. And you could also potentially, over time, reduce reliance on these rather complicated and often ill-fated multi-tier clauses, which provide for different pre-arbitral steps of negotiation and mediation, which I say often ill-fated because they do quite often lead to satellite disputes about whether people have gone through the steps in the right order in the right way for the right period of time etc you'd simply have a provision that start is you start this process and once you're into that process you're going to be able to access the tools you need to get the thing resolved so that would be my utopia for 10 maybe 15 years time
1: well it's uh, it sounds like a utopia of flexibility and i must say i join you on that it's the same you know, with arbitration clauses in the sense that we can have complicated arbitration clauses, but because you never know what disputes are going to actually happen and, and when and in what circumstances, you know, trying to sort of tailor these things in advance cannot be, is often not helpful. And may in the end, if you've got a complicated multi-tier dispute resolution clause might actually end up putting parties off all these other routes because they're simply obliged to deploy them at a time when it's not suitable.
0: Yeah. And that's, because I work both as an arbitrator and mediator, a number of the mediation cases that I've done have come to me when, when arbitration is the next step. And I have quite regularly found that parties have come to me pursuant to one of those clauses for mediation at a time when the, the, the prospects of settlement are pretty low because they've just been through the process of trying to resolve this through business negotiation. They've failed and there's frust- built up frustration on that. They've instructed lawyers, but those lawyers haven't properly advised. They haven't really worked through damages issues, some some of the more complicated a- aspects of the claim, and they come to mediation, yeah, between those two stools, and it's not a good place. Um, it's not productive for 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 settlement. Obviously, cases do settle then, but but many don't because it's just not the
1: best time. Yes, and it, and it may just. Uh, I don't know what the the other the sort of thing about this area too is. I'm not sure, but maybe you could you you would is that i'm not sure where you find statistics on how many mediations succeed how many fail sort of hard data on, on this which could be useful in in sort of advancing the cause. if i say
0: well i mean i think a lot of the mediation institutions CEDAs, the center for effective dispute resolution in the uk that i that i mediate with publishes data on this and the, the reported settlement rates are always very high i mean 60 70 80 percent whatever i I'm, always encouraging. I've never read any institution publishing <laughs> oh, right. anything other than encouraging statistics on settlement yeah. rates.
1: Well, I suppose if we're going to be asking the arbitral institutions to get more involved in this, then they'll need to publish on the uh, on the relative success of the awards, the relative success of mediations, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Well, what
1: do you call a success on an award,
0: though? <laughs> an award is an <laughs> award.
1: Well, you got to an award. We succeeded to get to an award. I know, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Well, look, this has been been, uh, fascinating. And I, you know, there's uh, the world of mediation is one I touch on from time to time. But obviously, you know, one, Chris, that you're in sort of, you know, all the time. And so it's always enriching speaking to you on this subject. Tell me one last thing, though, before we close. What do you do when you're not mediating and arbitrating? Oh, I ride a bicycle. <laughs> no. uh, is, that, is, that, is, it, is this a, a long, a long-standing way of the, sort of just getting away from the mediation and arbitration, or is this a, oh, no, it's just part of my part of my life. One of
0: the things I enjoy doing, and yeah, w- w- where are you sitting right now? And you're in Spain, right?
1: No, I'm in Paris. To, oh, you're um, in Paris. Yes. Now I'm I'm also I'm afraid a biking fan, so I tend to pick up my. I'm in the biking to work and biking at weekends, and uh, I have too many bikes actually.
0: Well, I've I've just ordered another one, which I'm looking forward to receiving. And my greatest pleasure this summer was cycling from London to um, Girona in Spain uh, with some friends, which uh, took us 12 days and was so right the length of France, which was yeah an absolute pleasure.
1: Well, you've gone bigger distances than me in that case on cycling (laughs) and certainly in mediation. So (laughs) on that note, uh, may I just say thank you very much, uh, Chris. For your time and uh, and taking time to to speak on this subject, uh, and I hope that uh, our listeners found this interesting, informative, uh, and make them pause for thought. Good. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you.
2: Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali Mcardle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitral insights at readsmith.com to learn about the Reed Smith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the costs of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on ReedSmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, ReedSmith.com, and our social media accounts at LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.